authoritarian regimes want to remain in power. And fundamentally, their foreign and domestic policies, such as promoting religious tolerance, um, are always geared toward that end to a greater or lesser extent in some form or other. Hello, and welcome to the USERV Spotlight Podcast, a podcast series by the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, where we take a deep dive into religious freedom conditions around the world, breaking the situation down for you. Each episode, we focus on a different country, region, or topic. Not only do we analyze and explain the religious freedom situation to our listeners, but we also make policy recommendations to the United States government in order to address the immense challenges we bring to light here. Welcome to USERP Spotlight. I'm Scott Wiener, Supervisory Policy Analyst at the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. Our guest today is Dr. David Warren, lecturer in the Department of Jewish, Islamic, and Middle Eastern Studies at Washington University in St. Louis, and author of a new report for USERF entitled Tolerance, Religious Freedom, and Authoritarianism. The report delineates between the promotion of religious tolerance and the promotion of freedom of religion or belief, and makes recommendations to the U.S. government as it engages on both fronts with governments around the world, particularly those that are authoritarian. David, welcome to USERP Spotlight. Thank you for having me, Scott. It's great to be here. So to start us off, what is religious tolerance promotion and how is it different than promoting freedom of religion or belief? Thank you. So I think um, whenever we use definitions, we're of course always making uh, choices and the key criteria for us here is what's the most useful distinction uh, for the purposes of this report. Um, so here I found it useful to draw a clear line between tolerance promotion on the one hand and religious freedom promotion on the other. And I think a uh, well-known scholar, uh, Wendy Brown, is very helpful for us to think with here. So with that in mind, the best question for us to ask when we're distinguishing between religious tolerance promotion and a promotion of freedom of religion or belief is where or upon whom is the burden of responsibility being placed for maintaining social peace. Um, in other words, in this report, uh, freedom of religion or belief is something that is promoted at the level of nation states. It is articulated and defined international law it's affirmed by international accords, it's promoted through international relations, and things like that. Um, promoting freedom of religion or belief, then, is, uh, for the US government, primarily encouraging or cajoling nation states to reform religion laws in accordance with international treaties or norms they have signed up to, or perhaps to reduce burdensome regulations on particular communities or uphold the rule of law more generally. Put simply, freedom of religion or belief is, for us, something that I think primarily occurs at the level of laws, regulations, policies, treaties, which is the purview of nation states and international relations. By contrast, we can think of religious tolerance promotion as occurring at a different level and speaking to a different realm. This is a level below the state, where NGOs, communal organizations, religious leaders, activists, citizens engage in dialogue with each other or other efforts 
to promote mutual understanding, respect, and so on. Importantly, I think it's helpful for us to think about the fact that when it is an authoritarian regime that is the one initiating or promoting tolerance, as opposed to perhaps it being a more organic or grassroots endeavor, one thing that's happening is that the burden of responsibility for conflict or tension and its solution is being shifted from the state and onto citizens and communities in a manner that can sometimes simplify what are highly complex tensions and conflicts. Um, consequently, uh, tolerance promotion is extremely important, but one co important consequence for us to be mindful of is Wendy Brown's description of tolerance discourses as fundamentally depoliticizing discourses. What she means by that is, if we view a conflict or discord in terms of citizens' mutual religious tolerance or intolerance, we are removing that issue from the realm of political analysis or structural analysis, or at least diminishing the possibility for that kind of analysis. As a result, we reduce our capacity to analyze an issue in terms of state authoritarianism or state violence by asking questions like, is the authoritarian state presiding over a context of violence? Are there direct violence? That is physical violence through state entities like the police or the army, or also structural violence. That is, what are some of the ways that the context of authoritarianism itself, the denial of political rights, the denial of full economic rights and equal opportunities, what are, how is that contributing to the kinds of intercommunal violence we're concerned with here? If we put religious tolerance and intolerance front and center as a site of conflict and a site of solutions, we are to some extent sometimes inhibiting our ability to ask those more complex questions as well. So it really sounds like this distinction between the obligation of the government versus the obligations of the people or different communities. But to take that down to a more specific level, what are some examples of religious tolerance promotion that we might see in authoritarian states? Yes, I think um, one helpful way for our purposes to categorize these different kinds of efforts would be to, be to distinguish between those that are aimed at resolving internal conflicts and those that are aimed more at um, external issues and an external or international audience. So in some cases, for example, authoritarian states might establish state-backed councils of religious leaders from different traditions who might meet together to try and promote understanding and good relations among and between different communities within a state. Um, an example might be um, from this research would be the Zimbabwean Interreligious Council launched in 2020, created and supported by the Zimbabwean states and aiming at promoting good relations within and among uh, different Zimbabwean communities. Another example might be uh, tolerance efforts aimed at countering violent extremism in a particular region or country. Um, and some examples from this research might be the uh, Interministerial Committee for Combating and Preventing Violent Extremism established by the Togolese state in 2019, or the uh, Interreligious Council of Ethiopia aimed at relations within a state, right, an authoritarian state in this instance. Those kinds of examples in some regards aren't that different from non-authoritarian states really. They're trying to deal with issues of internal intercommunal conflict. The exception perhaps being that 
authoritarian states like those I've just mentioned may make greater efforts to control or oversee what happens in those various efforts rather than simply leaving NGOs or religious leaders to do what they do best, essentially. By contrast, then, the kind of religious tolerance promotion that this piece of research was particularly interested in were those efforts whereby authoritarian states sponsor initiative sponsor initiatives ostensibly aimed at issues outside that particular country at a global or international audience. Examples of this might be authoritarian regimes hosting high profile international conferences, bringing in major speakers, policymakers, religious leaders, practitioners from all over the world to discuss tolerance in the global sense. Increasingly, those kinds of conferences might end with a declaration of shared values. Um, some earlier examples of this might be the famous Amman message from 2004 in Jordan, or uh, Kazakhstan's regular Congress of Leaders of World and Traditional Religions, which has been held since 2003. And indeed, the impetus for this piece of research was the fact that in the past few years, there has been a noticeable uptick in these kinds of initiatives, conferences, declarations, etc. Um, notably in the Arabian Peninsula, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, the UAE especially, but also other countries further afield like Azerbaijan. Notably, um, oftentimes those kinds of conferences rarely discuss issues within the country in question. For example, um, it might be unusual for an international conference about religious tolerance hosted by Saudi Arabia or Bahrain to discuss tolerance toward the Shia communities in those countries. Um, similarly, for example, in the Gulf states, those kinds of initiatives might focus perhaps on the rights of expatriate communities rather than citizens themselves. Um, that being said, of course, uh, these kinds of initiatives are helpful and important, but at the same time, they can also serve a different purpose um, to help regimes remain in power in an indirect or sometimes direct way as well. So it seems like these conferences, which by the way, USERF has endorsed and participated in in the past are encouraging the kinds of societies that we would think would be conducive to democracy. So can you sort of draw the connection for us in terms of how religious tolerance promotion actually helps authoritarian governments remain in power? Yeah, so I think, I think first of all, um, a scholar reference in the report, Annie Sarkissian, um, reminds us that it's important to remember that at the end of the day, um, authoritarian regimes want to remain in power. And fundamentally, their foreign and domestic policies, such as promoting religious tolerance, um, are always geared toward that end to a greater or lesser extent in some form or other. So in this report, the regimes we're talking about primarily are, for the most part, either close allies of the US that are major beneficiaries of US aid, like Jordan or Egypt, or regimes that have a very close security relationship with the US, like Saudi Arabia or Bahrain, for example. So with that in mind, um, one helpful way to think about it is through a concept called state branding. Um, state branding refers to the dynamic whereby smaller or more vulnerable states, especially those that rely on the US for security or economic aid, seek to uh, brand themselves on the international stage, as it were, in order to sort of garner investment. For these regimes, this branding uh, involves a whole range of efforts, 
including, but not limited to, these kind of high profile religious tolerance initiatives, which help to ensure the United States remains invested in the security or stability of that regime in question as an important ally. So these kinds of high profile religious tolerance initiatives aimed at an international audience are not the only element of state branding that these states invest in. Rather, they're part of a wider package of efforts through which authoritarian regimes like Bahrain or the UAE seek to position themselves as integral US allies as a means to bolster the security of a particular regime. Ultimately, um, at the end of the day, authoritarian regimes engage in this behavior when it furthers an important goal of remaining in power by helping to better their relationship with the US. That's certainly not to say these initiatives should be dismissed, far from it, but there is this element in the background that it's important to be mindful of as well. So we've talked about some of the initiatives, including conferences or support for uh, NGOs or the state branding efforts. Um, I wanted to also ask about cultural and heritage preservation, the idea of turning um, houses of worship, for example, that are no longer in use into museums or sites of education about different religious groups. Does cultural heritage preservation play into the toolbox that you're examining in this report? You know, I think in general, um, it can be helpful to think about these new developments in cultural heritage preservation um, in a similar way to how we're thinking about religious tolerance initiatives in general, um, by maintaining a categorical distinction um, in reporting, advocacy, and so on be between those kinds of initiatives and then the initiatives around the states and the state reforming laws. Um, I think, as you're mentioning, I think it's mindful of perhaps sometimes being too quick to see those kinds of initiatives, important as they are, as a stepping stone to greater freedom, liberalization or democratization for everyone. Um, for example, one thing this report did was put authoritarian regimes efforts in the realm of tolerance promotion, and we might include heritage preservation within that category in general as well, in conversation with the wider human rights environments in a particular country. So, for example, uh, Egypt um, would be a country that has made a number of initiatives in the realm of cultural heritage preservation, like you mentioned. Um, at the same time, the wider human rights context in Egypt is uh, horrendous and deteriorating. So, in some contexts, um, cultural heritage preservation um, could be a signal of wider changes happening at a regime level, um, but also it may not always be the case. So when we talk about those states trying to align with the U.S., historically, a lot of those relationships have been built on a shared defense interest or countering the USSR during the Cold War. When we talk about religious tolerance promotion as a tool of authoritarian states, where does that come from historically? Yes, yeah, so I think primarily this kind of dynamic we're talking about whereby authoritarian regimes that are predominantly allies of the US promote these kinds of initiatives um, is predominantly a post 9-11 dynamic, but it has a slightly earlier history as well. Um, in the 1990s, um, in the post-Cold War period initially, um, Western states like the United States had begun to take an interest in promoting religious freedom as part of their foreign policy. And this was codified in the US case by the 1998 International Religious Freedom Act. Um, 
in response to that policy, uh, US allies have begun to, to undertake various initiatives in response to that. Um, and also various European states have begun to articulate policy in that regard as well. That being said, um, there was a marked change after 9-11. The 9-11 attacks and the global war on terror that followed had a seismic impact on US policy toward the Middle East particularly and uh, Muslim majority countries more broadly. Among the main changes that occurred, one of them was this increased need to cultivate the spread of uh, moderate or tolerant forms of religion. Um, we put those in uh, inverted commas, uh, namely Islam. So as scholars such as Elizabeth Heard have highlighted, for states like the US or allies like Canada or the United Kingdom, moderate religion generally meant forms of religion most amenable to democratic governance, free civil societies, free market economics. As a result, authoritarian states who were allies of those countries began to mimic those policies and language in order to position themselves as key allies, particularly in the post 9-11 um, war on terror environment. So I think at the level of state policy, what first came was the demand uh, in the 1990s and especially after 9-11, either explicitly through policy or implicitly from rhetoric from these various regimes, Western allies, that uh, tolerant forms of religion, namely Islam, as I described them, was something that needed to be cultivated by the state. And then in response, various regimes began to mimic policies to meet that demand. Um, at the same time, uh, authoritarian regimes also learned from each other. So a more recent catalyst for the uptick in these authoritarian states promoting various initiatives around tolerance was the huge success of the 2014 Marrakesh Declaration in Morocco around safeguarding the rights of religious minorities in Islam. So while the Marrakesh Declaration is an important statement of Islamic values vis-a-vis -vis minorities, at the same time, it was also a very effective piece of state branding for Morocco in the West, where it was hailed and well received, and served to help the Moroccan state brand as a site of traditional, tolerant, authentic, mystical or pious values in stark contradistinction at a time to various corruptions of religious faith associated with violent extremism at the time. So since the success of the 2014 Marrakesh Declaration for Morocco, and Morocco was not actually included in the support since it did not meet the full threshold of authoritarian states, we can see what Anel Shaleen has called uh, declaration proliferation, which is an apt term because since then, really, the international interfaith calendar, as it were, has uh, to an extent become increasingly crowded with international conferences and gatherings, predominantly in the Middle East or Central Asia, which then culminate in a declaration named after a particular city, uh, Mecca, Bukhara, Abu Dhabi, and so on. So you've sort of outlined a catch-22 for US policy. On the one hand, no one is saying religious tolerance is bad, right? Certainly it's better than the alternative of religious intolerance. At the same time, there are states that are using religious tolerance promotion in ways that are very different from the legal obligations that states have under international law to promote freedom of religion or belief. So how can the U.S. government avoid 
some of those pitfalls um, without sacrificing the ability to use discussions of religious tolerance to perhaps set a groundwork for broader rights protections. Yeah, thank you. I think that's really um, sort of the crux of the issue here, I think. And there's a couple of things I would say. Um, as you mentioned, uh, I think the first thing is that to think about promoting tolerance, understanding, dialogue between communities and individuals um, as a very important endeavor. Um, however, when it's important to think about when an authoritarian regime is the one sponsoring those kinds of citizen to citizen or community to community initiatives, that is very different, as you point out, from a state reforming its own laws vis-a-vis -a, -vis a community, changing discriminatory, discriminatory policies or abiding by international treaties or accords they sign up to. So with that in mind, I think it's useful for US government entities involved in this kind of work to maintain a clear categorical terminological distinction between on the one hand, tolerance promotion at the non-state level, and on the other hand, promoting freedom of religion and belief um, at the other level, which in the realm, which in the realm of religious policy, international relations, um, predominantly refers to states with laws, changing policies and treaties. I think maintaining that distinction, for example, in reporting or in advocacy um, is a helpful way because sometimes they get conflated between the two, I think, um, and they sort of blur into each other. Um, at the same time, um, all of this is not to say that these declarations and initiatives and US engagement in them do not have positive value, um, far from it. Rather, a helpful way to think about it is uh, through a technical term that's called rhetorical action. This essentially means that once regimes um, adopt a shared language and framework of norms around religious freedom, that provides an opportunity for, for example, the US to encourage those regimes to engage in reforms in a manner that's greater than would be simply if it were a question of a particular regime's strategic interest and power. Um, rhetorical action and a shared language, a shared framework and shared norms can eventually be more persuasive than simply um, a regime's strategic calculations alone. Well, unfortunately, we'll have to leave the discussion there for today, but I do want to thank David Warren for joining us and speaking with us about religious tolerance promotion by authoritarian states. You can find the full report entitled Tolerance, Religious Freedom, and Authoritarianism on our website at www.userf.gov. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time on Userf Spotlight.